He's held me through his love. 
Amen. All of us can say amen to that right there. All of us had different roads that we thought we were traveling down until one day our paths crossed with him. Amen. Mm. I said our paths crossed with him. And our lives has never been the same since then. Amen. I'm so thankful uh, for where he's brought me to. Amen. I'm thankful for where he brought me from and he put me here in this place right now. And I'm excited for Dr. Scott Call. I think he's going to sing one more for us. Uh, he's, he's, I'm telling you, a man of many talents right here, as you can see the guitar right here. Uh, so we're going to let him, he's going to sing one for us and then we're just going to cut him loose. And, and uh, preacher, you preach tonight. Amen. Do it. Amen. Thank you, Brother Bridges. What a blessing. I enjoyed that song. Did you enjoy that song? <laughs> Brother George Yance of the Cathedral Quartet used to say, if that didn't light your fire, your wood's wet. I agree with that. Boy, what a great song. I appreciate that. I've enjoyed all the music here today. I like the way Brother Bridges has put it. Uh, when we all sing the congregational songs like we sung them today, it's sort of like one big choir. And I like that. I thank God for the opportunity to be here today. Well, this uh, past Easter was different. I don't know if you were able to have services here, but my home church wasn't able to have services. And no church in our hometown in the northeast mountains of Georgia was having any kind of services. And so me and Cassie and Danielle, my daughter, who's still at home with us, we were sitting there, and we had to have church ourselves. Of course, we watched our live stream service. Our preacher recorded a service for us on, on uh, the Facebook, on uh, the Facebook of the church. But uh, I, I, brother Ricky, I was feeling a little down on that day. I guess that's the first time since I've been in the Navy that I wasn't in church on Easter Sunday morning. It was just different. Boy, these are unprecedented days, aren't they? And so I went into the living room, I took my guitar, and I started singing this song. And boy, by the end of the song, we were having church ourselves right there in the house. I hope the Lord will use it to bless your heart this morning. Early in the city of Jerusalem, roses were covered with dew. His friends had all come together, feeling afraid and confused. The last three days filled with sorrow, hours went off and they cried. The last time they gathered together was at a tomb with the Lord sealed inside. They spoke of the joy and the treasures pleasures he'd brought to their soul. They spoke of the healings and miracles. It now seems such a long time ago. They remembered the last time they saw him. He was lying in a cold, dark tomb. And meanwhile, in the garden at sunrise, victory had shattered while in the garden the tomb that he laid in was empty at the first light of day and the only reminder of his presence were the grave clothes left where he lay meanwhile in the garden the angel was waiting for mary to tell her the news and the only one left crying today is satan Defeated and bruised. 
Yes, the only one left crying today is Satan, defeated and bruised. Meanwhile, in the garden at sunrise, victory had shattered the gloom. Meanwhile, in the garden, the tomb that he laid in was empty at the first light of day, and the only reminder of his presence were the grave clothes left where he lay. Meanwhile, in the garden, the angel was waiting for Mary to tell her the news, and the only one left crying today is Satan, defeated and bruised. Yes, the only one left crying today is Satan, defeated and bruised. Meanwhile, in the garden at sunrise, victory had shattered the gloom. Aren't you thankful we serve a risen Savior? Amen. He's not only alive tonight, but thank God he's alive and well. And I'm so thankful for that. Hey, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? I want you to know, a few months ago when all this pandemic started, God didn't lead over the portals of glory and say, oh no. Boy, this took me by surprise. I, I, I've been left off guard. Oh no, no. Nothing slips up on God. Nothing takes God by surprise. I submit to you, God is able to work through this time of pandemic to bring about His divine pleasure. And therefore, it's up to us as God's youngins just to trust Him and to believe that He's got our best interest at heart. And I know He does because the Bible teaches me that. Amen? Well, turn in your Bible, if you would please, to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis, chapter number 29. And in just a very few moments, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 31 of the chapter and be reading through verse number 35. Genesis, chapter number 29, verses 31 through 35. Rest assured... I will be contacting your pastor, letting him know how much Cassie and I have enjoyed this day. I never cease to be amazed at how God is very hard at work here at the Calvary Baptist Church of Union Grove, North Carolina. And I want to say this about your pastor, and I know that you realize this, but I think you ought to hear it every now and then. I think you need to be reminded often that God has given you a pastor of impeccable character. What a Bible preacher God has given you. Not only a great Bible preacher, but a great author. God is using him to write books that I think is one of the most needed things of our hour. And I'm so thankful for that. I love and appreciate Pastor Steve Pope and Miss Tammy, as I know you do. And I know you realize this, but as you are a blessing to them, God will bless you. And God will continue to bless this church. I appreciate Pastor Pope. I appreciate the staff here. Brother Bridges has done a great job today. I told him after the service this morning, I said, listen, uh, I'd want you on my staff, if I have a pastor, just to make announcements. Listen, he, he preaches a message making announcements. 
His announcements is better than some preaching that I've heard. I'm telling you. And so I appreciate Brother Bridges. And then I can't say enough about how good Brother Ricky and his family has been to us. Uh, Brother Ricky sends me a text every Sunday morning. And it's such a blessing to be encouraged by uh, fellow family members of God. We have the privilege today of having lunch with them at the K&W cafeteria. We don't have K&Ws where we're from. And so it was a blessing to be able to go back to the K&W cafeteria. Somebody kidded me about that one time. And they said, Preacher, you know you're getting older when you can't wait to go to the K&W cafeteria. I said, Well, I must be getting older. I love it. He said, You do know what K&W stands for, don't you? I said, What does K&W stand for? He said, Canes and walkers. Because you see a lot of canes and walkers there. And, uh, but I told Brother Ricky and his family, Miss Cassie told them as well, We know y'all are young, but thank you for humoring us old folks and taking us to the Canes and Walkers cafeteria. We, we had a great time. We love and appreciate Brother Ricky and his family, and we love and appreciate you. God bless you. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your missions family. Now, on the way out, I have a couple of things that I want to tell you about that Cassie will have for you at the table. Of course, she has the Focus on the Field magazine. If we run out uh, of the ones that's on the table... Uh, we've got plenty of more in the van. And uh, in fact, I usually say we've only got a few left, a few thousand. So if you'll help us spread the word about the Focus on the Ville magazine, we certainly would appreciate that. And then I wanted to tell you about something we are so excited about at Macedonia World Baptist Missions. Lord willing, next month we're going to launch what we are calling the Macedonia Institute of World Evangelism. This is a two-year Bible course on the practical aspect of world evangelism. Now, let me tell you why it's so exciting. Uh, we have asked our Macedonian missionaries, some who are on the field right now, for instance, a Brother Keith Shoemaker, who, have, who has spent the last 20 years of his life in Burkina Faso. Dr. Wes Gazaway, who has spent the last 10 years, him and his wife Rachel, in northern Africa. We have asked Brother Keith Cullors, who has been in Taiwan over 30 years now, planting independent Baptist churches for the glory of God, to teach in the Macedonia Institute of World Evangelism. Here's how you can be a part of that. You can sign up and you can take classes online. All of the classes are done by way of video. You go right onto the internet and you can log in. You can take one class a semester. You can take six classes a semester. And it's again four semesters, two full years of practical Bible training as well as practical hands-on training to plant churches around the world. Again, it's called Macedonia Institute of World Evangelism. You can find it on the World Wide Web by logging on to mwbminstitute.org. And we're very excited about that. Enrollment will open up, I think, about the second week in August. And then we're going to start classes at the latter portion of the month. So we're excited about that. And then please, please, if you would, would you pick up a prayer card on the way out? We covet your prayers. We're traveling about 40 to 50,000 miles a year now on the road. And if you spend any time at all on the road, would you agree with me when I say that people have lost their minds? 
listen, they're reading tablets. They're reading. They're looking at everything but the road these days, driving down the road. I saw a lady just the other day. We were on our way to the next meeting, and, and she was eating a sandwich and putting on eye makeup and doing her nails all at the same time. And I finally turned to my wife and said, Cassie, put all that stuff down and drive this van. If we're going to get there safe, you're going to have to do that. People on the road have lost their minds. So if you can help us pray for safety on the road, that God would keep our van running, that God would keep the tires from blowing out, we would certainly appreciate that. We covet your prayers. Have you found your place in the book of Genesis chapter number 29? If so, would you say amen? I love reading and studying from the book of Genesis. I guess the last five years that I served as the pastor of Canaan Baptist Church of Covington, Georgia, I took Wednesday nights and preached verse by verse through the book of Genesis. It took me about five years to get through it. One of the most profitable Bible studies I've ever been involved in was that five-year verse-by-verse study through the book of Genesis. I would encourage you to read often from this great book of the Bible. As you study the book of Genesis, you'll discover that it is a book of beginnings. That's what that word Genesis means. We read of several beginnings in the book of Genesis. We not only read of the beginning of the human race and our forefather, a man by the name of Adam, but we read of the beginning of the Hebrew race in a man by the name of Abraham. Now, if you'll recall, Abraham had a promised son that he and his wife Sarah named Isaac. Isaac had a son whose name was Jacob. And when you study the book of beginnings, you'll discover that a a great portion of the chapters that make up this book of the Bible is devoted to the life and labors of this man by the name of Jacob. When you study that word Jacob, you'll discover that the name actually means supplanter. It means conniver. It means schemer. And friend, when you study your Bible, you'll discover that if anybody in the Word of God was called by the right name, Jacob was called by the right name. Now, this is another message for another day. We are also aware of the fact, having read the book of Genesis, that God would go on and he would eventually change Jacob. He would change surplanter. He would change conniver, schemer, into Israel, which means prince with God. I have a message I preach, Brother Bridges, uh, no more Jacob. It's when God turned a Jacob into an Israel, and God is still able to do that today. Amen? Jacob was a conniver. He was a schemer. You remember Jacob, don't you? Jacob was the one that persuaded his older brother Esau to sell his firstborn birthright in exchange for a measly bowl of pottage. Jacob was the one that went on to deceive his father Isaac into blessing him as opposed to Esau, his brother, even though Isaac loved Esau. He was a schemer. He was a conniver. And even though, again, having read through the book of Genesis, you and I are aware that was God's plan all along, certainly you would agree with me tonight when I say that it was a very underhanded way for Jacob to obtain the blessing of his father. Jacob was a conniver. Jacob was a manipulator. 
But here in Genesis chapter 29, we witness the one-time manipulator being manipulated. Uh, Here, we witness the one-time conniver being connived. After Jacob moves away from Isaac's home, the Bible reveals that he comes to a place called Haran. And there at this place called Haran, he strikes up a deal with a man by the name of Laban. Laban was Jacob's uncle. Jacob tells his uncle Laban, I will serve you seven years if you'll allow me the privilege of marrying your younger daughter, Rachel. You see, Jacob loved Rachel. He fell head over heels when he first laid eyes on her, when he first came and met her at a well at the place called Haran. And so uh, the Bible teaches us that Laban agrees. He tells Jacob, according to verse 19 of the chapter, it is better that I give her to thee than I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And that is exactly what Jacob does. Uh, And just as Jacob had promised, He did serve his uncle Laban seven years. And at the end of that seven-year period, Laban throws Jacob and his new bride a big wedding. They experience a big feast. And then Jacob goes on his honeymoon with who he thinks is the love of his life. And therefore, can you just imagine how disappointed Jacob was the next morning to wake up and find out that the woman that's laying beside him wasn't Rachel, but rather Laban's oldest daughter, Leah. Now hold on a minute. That wasn't a part of the agreement. That wasn't what Jacob had agreed to. The manipulator has been manipulated. I mean, after all, he wasn't even remotely in love with Leah. She wasn't nearly as beautiful as her younger sister, Rachel. Even God said in verse 17 of this chapter we're preparing to read from tonight that Leah was tender-eyed while Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. Now, most Bible commentators feel that was a very gentlemanly way of God saying about Leah, Woo, she was uh ugly. I mean, she was ugly. She was tender-eyed. And therefore, Jacob asks his uncle Laban, according to verse 25 of this chapter before us, wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? Then in verse 26, Laban responds to Jacob by saying, It must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give thee this also for the service of which thou shalt serve with me seven other years. Genesis chapter 29 and verse 28 says, And Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, and he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to wife also. Now, I don't think I have to explain this. I don't have to spend a great deal of time here. But there are young children here. I think it's important that they understand that nowhere in this Bible, nowhere in this Bible does God condone polygamy. God's plan has always been one woman for one man till death do the two parts. However, since the Bible is a book of ultimate truth, the Bible records truth regardless of it being good truth or bad truth. And so by the time we read our text tonight, Jacob, can you imagine this? He is married to two women. And therefore, 
You can just imagine the turmoil, the confusion that's going on down at Jacob's house. Leah wanted to be like Rachel and have the attention and the affection of Jacob, and therefore Leah envied Rachel. Rachel, on the other hand, wanted to be like Leah because the Bible reveals that Rachel was barren at least at this point and she could not bear Jacob any children. And therefore, the Word of God goes to great lengths to teach us, ladies and gentlemen, that Rachel literally despised the ground that her older sister Leah walked on. Jacob, on the other hand, was torn between his affection, his love for Rachel, and his desire for children. And so Jacob was pulled in two different directions himself. Can you imagine the turmoil, the misunderstanding that's going on in Jacob's home? And most of the time, when a preacher preaches through the book of Genesis, he places the emphasis on the life of Jacob. But one day while reading my Bible, I read the portion of Scripture that I'm getting ready to read tonight, and there were a few words that leaped off of the page and found a lodging place in my heart tonight. It's those few words that I want to share with you tonight for a very few moments. Now, don't get nervous. This is the kind of message it takes a while to set the table, but once you get the table set, it goes pretty quickly. But there's something here that I believe God would have us to see, especially in this day of pandemic in which we're living today. If you're able, would you please stand? Genesis chapter 29 and verse number 31. The Bible says this, And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated... He opened up her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bare a son. And she called his name Reuben. For she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now therefore, my husband will love me. And she conceived again and bare a son. And said, Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated... He hath therefore given me this son also, and she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bare a son and said, Now this time will my husband be joined unto me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore was his name called Levi. And she conceived again and bare a son And she said, notice what she said. Now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah and left bearing. Now we're going to be using our Bibles tonight, Lord willing. I trust you'll leave them handy throughout the course of the message. Let's bow our heads tonight for a moment of prayer. Father, I love you this evening. Thank you for the privilege to stand in the pulpit of one of the dearest friends I have, Pastor Steve Pope. I pray for him and Miss Tammy again tonight that you would bless them, that you would build a hedge of protection about them, and that you would use them in a mighty way there in the state of California. 
Lord, I pray for Brother Zach and his family and that you'd give them a wonderful time of fellowship. But Lord, uh, Lord, would you speak to us tonight from the pages of your word? In fact, Lord, we know that you speak through your word. The question really isn't, will you speak? The question is, will we be listening? Help us to listen tonight to what you have to say. Help me, I pray, I'm nothing without thee. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. With the help of the Lord tonight, I want to lift out six words from verse number 35 of this chapter and use those six words as the title of my message tonight. Those six words would simply be, Now will I praise the Lord. Now, to understand the significance of those six words in verse number 35, there are a few things that we should take the time to consider about this woman by the name of Leah in the text before us. First of all, notice number one, Leah's dilemma. Now, when you study your Bible, you'll discover that Leah actually faced two dilemmas that are worthy of our consideration tonight. First of all, when it came to the life of Leah, there was the dilemma of outward beauty. For you see, the Word of God makes it abundantly clear that Leah did not possess the outward beauty that her younger sister Rachel possessed. Again, if you'll notice verse 17 of the chapter that I've just read from, the Bible says that Leah was tender-eyed while Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. Leah's eyes lacked the luster that her younger sister Rachel's possessed. And whereas I realize and whereas you realize it's really what's on the inside that matters, uh, it was nevertheless the dilemma that proved to be a problem for Leah, especially when it came to her relationship with her husband Jacob. There was the dilemma of outward beauty. There was also the dilemma of Others' bitterness. And I say that because as beautiful as Rachel was outwardly, she certainly, at least at this point, lacked in beauty inwardly. Rachel was a very bitter woman, and since she was barren at this time, oh, I want to remind you again that she literally despised the ground that Leah walked on. In fact, no less than two times here in the text before us, God mentioned it once in verse number 31, and yet again in verse number 33, that Leah was hated. And therefore, in light of the truth of the Bible tonight, let me hasten to ask you this question. Do you see the dilemma that Leah has here in the text? She is hated by her younger sister Rachel. Her husband makes absolutely no bones about the fact that the love of his life is another woman other than her. In fact, notice verse 30. Verse number 30 plainly declares that Jacob loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. And to top it all off, Leah's right in the middle of a house full of turmoil, full of strife and confusion, and things aren't looking good for Leah at all. At least until verse number 32. And according to verse number 32, Leah sees 
a little ray of sunshine. She sees a little ray of hope. Hope that Jacob will love her. Hope that Jacob will show her some affection instead of spending all of his time with Rachel. Hope that maybe, just maybe, even hers and her younger sister's relationship will at least somewhat improve. Do you see it? Verse 32. Verse 32 says, And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now therefore, my husband will love me. That's why we should not only take the time tonight to consider Leah's dilemma, we should secondly take the time to consider Leah's descendants. Did you hear what Leah said according to verse number 32? Why, Leah's absolutely thrilled, Brother Ricky, when little baby boy Reuben comes along because she is convinced, wow, now Jacob will love me. Now that I've given him his firstborn son, now she, now he will love me. Now, since I've bored Jacob's firstborn, now Rachel will leave me alone. In fact, Leah is so convinced of it that she calls that first baby boy Reuben. Now consider what that name Reuben means. The name Reuben means, my God hath seen. That's what Reuben means. Leah declared in verse number 32, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction, now therefore my husband will love me. Oh, but the Bible teaches us that Reuben was the child of sore distress. And the reason that I say that tonight is because even after little baby Reuben is born, nothing changes for Leah. Nothing. She's still just as hated as she had ever been hated before. Jacob still loved Rachel the most and showed her the most affection. Things were still bad for Leah down at Jacob's house. At least until... Verse number 33. And in verse number 33, Leah sees yet another ray of hope. Verse number 33 says, And she conceived again, and bare a son, and said, Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Now, the name Reuben means, my God hath seen. The name Simeon means, my God hath heard. And so according to the word of God, Leah at this point believes with all of her heart that the birth of Simeon will mean a turning point for her and her family. Now, since she has not only given Jacob his firstborn, now, since she has given him his secondborn, now, he'll love her now. He'll start spending some time with her now. Quality time. 
Now Rachel will leave her alone. Now things will be better. Brother Bridges, she is so convinced of it that when her nursemaid places that second baby boy in her arms, she exercises her faith again and she calls that baby boy Simeon, which means my God hath heard. Oh, but whereas Reuben was the child of sore distress, Simeon, according to the Bible, was the child of simple disappointment. And the reason that I say that tonight is because even after little baby Simeon was born, nothing, are you listening? Nothing changed for Leah. Jacob was still just as distant as he had ever been distant. Nothing in the home changed for Leah. Nothing. Then, in verse number 34, Leah conceives again and bears yet another son. Verse number 34 says that Leah declares, Now this time will my husband be joined unto me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore was his name called Levi. Now the name Levi literally means joined or associated. Oh, but whereas Reuben was the child of sore distress and whereas Simeon was the child of simple disappointment, let me tell you about Levi. Levi was the child of spiritual discouragement. And I say that because even after little Levi was born, nothing changed for Leah. Now, some of you ladies that are mothers here tonight, can you imagine bearing your husband three children? You know what that's like to go nine months, carry a child inside of you? She's not only done that one time, she's done it three times. And Jacob still, he's pretty much just using her. Do you see what's happening? He pays her no mind other than to birth his babies. Can you imagine how frustrating that is? No doubt Leah is feeling used. No doubt Leah is feeling abused. Rachel still hates her with all of her heart. Jacob is still paying her no mind. And by the way, don't miss this. Whatever you do, don't miss this. Have you ever noticed when little Levi was born, Leah makes no mention whatsoever of the Lord? Now reminisce with me. When Reuben was born, when the firstborn was born, she took a step of faith and she called that first baby boy, my God hath seen. When seemingly God hadn't seen, it was an act of faith. And then even though it seemed that God had forgotten her when they laid that second baby boy in her arms, she took yet another step of faith and she called that second little boy by faith again, my God hath heard. But when Levi was born, she simply called him joined or associated. There's no mention of the Lord. And the question that I want to ask you tonight is this, why? 
Can I attempt to answer that question by being honest and say, I don't know. And by the way, neither do you. Because the Bible doesn't say. But I've often wondered, Brother Bridges, could it have been that Leah had become somewhat embittered about the whole situation? Could it have been, dear brother, that Leah had become somewhat discontent in the service of the Lord? I mean, after all, for two pregnancies, she honored the Lord by naming those children my God hath seen, my God hath heard, even though when it seemed that God hadn't seen and that God hadn't heard. I'm going to be honest with you tonight. I I don't know why that Leah didn't mention the Lord when little Levi was born. I don't know what it was that caused her not even to mention God's name when little Levi was born. I have no doubt in my mind that a multitude of emotions was running rampant in Leah's heart and in her mind. Anger, frustration, envy, bitterness. Again, I do not know what it was that caused Leah to not even mention the Lord's name in verse number 34 but I do know this sometime between verse number 34 and verse number 35 Leah came to grips with it sometime between verse number 34 and 35 Leah dealt with the bitterness the unforgiveness the envy and strife in her heart And the reason we can know that tonight is because if you'll look in verse number 35, the Bible says that Leah conceives again. And after they placed that fourth little boy in her arms, verse 35 goes on to say that Leah says, Now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah and left bearing. Do you know what the name Judah means? The name Judah means praise the Lord. Do you know what Leah is doing at this point in her life? Let me tell you what Leah is doing at this point in her life. Even though she did not understand God even though she probably didn't even appreciate the dealings of God at this point in her life, even though she certainly did not understand her husband or her younger sister Rachel, she made a conscious decision to give God glory anyway. And therefore, when you study your Bible, you'll discover that whereas Reuben was the child of simple sore distress, and whereas Simeon was the child of simple disappointment, and whereas Levi was the child of spiritual discouragement, can I tell you about Judah? Judah was the child of splendid destiny. According to the word of God, sometime between verses 34 and 35, Leah took her eyes off of her circumstances and fixed her tender eyes on the sovereign God that she served. 
Sometime between verse number 34 and verse number 35, Leah quit pouting and made a conscious effort to stop, shout, start shouting. Do you know what Leah decided to do? Let me tell you what Leah decided to do. She decided to praise God anyway. She decided to give God glory anyway. She decided to offer the sacrifice of praise. And therefore, we should not only take the time to consider Leah's dilemma and Leah's descendants, we should finally take the time to consider Leah's decision. Leah made a conscious effort to offer God praise and give Him glory. And when Leah, don't miss this, and when Leah decided to offer the sacrifice of praise, do you want to know what she discovered? Leah discovered that God really had seen. And when Leah decided to offer the sacrifice of praise, Leah discovered that God really had heard. Not because God changed Jacob, Neither was it because that God changed, oh, bitter Rachel. No, when Leah decided to praise God anyway, when Leah decided to give God glory anyway, when Leah made a conscious decision to offer the sacrifice of praise, God changed Leah. And when God changed Leah, do you know what Leah said? She said, now, will I praise the Lord? Now again, there's a great message many times in what the Bible doesn't say, such as the case here in the latter portion of Genesis chapter 29. Let me tell you what Leah didn't say. Leah didn't say, now Lord, when you deal with that old backslidden husband of mine and bring him around, then... I'll praise you. That's not what Leah said. You'll not find that in this King James Bible. Neither will you find Leah pleading her case before the Lord and saying something like this. Now, Lord, I'll praise you, providing that you deal with my old bitter sister Rachel. I'm telling you, Lord, she despises the ground that I walk on. I can't even get something from the kitchen without having a confrontation with my younger sister, Rachel. Lord, if you change Rachel, then I'll pray. That's not what Leah said. Do you know what Leah said? She said now. Not when you answer, I'm feeling good about preaching tonight. Not when you answer my prayer the way I would like for you to answer. That's not what Leah said. Leah said now. Oh, if you mark in your Bible, you ought to underline that little three-letter word now. You ought to circle that little three-letter word now. You ought to highlight that little three-letter word now. Leah said now, right now. Not when you get me on the other side of this trial, but right now, right now smack, slap, dab in the middle of it. When I don't understand, when I can't comprehend, when things don't make sense, right now, right now, right. Did I say you ought to highlight that word now? Leah said now. Well, I praise the Lord. Now in the midst of my trouble, now in the midst of my trial, 
Now when my heart is breaking, Leah had a choice to make, friend. She was faced with a decision. Am I going to become a bitter old woman, bitter towards God and bitter towards my fellow man because things haven't gone my way? Am I going to become a mean, unforgiving old woman or will I allow my God to make this trial a blessing? Will I become bitter or am I going to become better? And friend, from studying verse 35, we know that Leah chose the latter of the two because she said, right now, Well, I praise the Lord. Two things about Leah's decision, and we'll go home tonight. First of all, notice the reason for her decision. I believe Leah realized that regardless of the circumstances, the great God that she served was worthy of praise. And can I tell you something tonight, Calvary Baptist Church of Union Grove, North Carolina, you don't have to take the next 30 minutes and try to explain to me what you're going through and how bad things are and how that you got more month at the end of the money than you do money at the end of the month. Oh no, the God that you say you serve, he is worthy of your praise. Now please don't misunderstand. I'm not against praising God for what he does. And we ought to praise him for what he does. I'm thankful that he puts clothes on my back. I'm thankful that he puts shoes on my feet and food in my belly. I'm thankful for the roof that he has placed above me every night of my life. But I want to tell you, if you want to obtain the blessings of God, learn to praise God for who he is. Your circumstances may change. That roof over your head could be gone just like that tonight. The car that you're driving, why it could be totaled within the next 30 minutes. But who God is will never change. And when you consider who He is, it don't make a difference where you're at or what's going on in your life. It doesn't change the fact that He's worthy because of who He is. The reason for Leah's praise. And then you see the reward for Leah's praise. Can I take my Bible and show you how that God honored and rewarded Leah for her sacrifice of praise here in the text? (laughs) Do you remember the prophecy that Jacob would go on to eventually utter about his son Judah? Now please don't misunderstand. Judah was far from perfect. But it was Jacob that said of Judah on his deathbed... In Genesis 48 and 9, in verse number 8, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. When you study this Bible, you cannot deny that there's something about that tribe of Judah I mean the superiority of the tribe of Judah can be seen all throughout the Old Testament of the Bible. Let me tell you about the tribe of Judah, brethren. Judah was first in number. Judah was first in territory. Judah was first in marching order. Judah was first in war. This very day, the descendants of the nation of Israel are known as Jews, which is a derivation of the name Judah. God has forever established the throne of David through the lineage of Judah. In fact, all the kings of Israel came from the lineage of Judah except one. 
And his name was Saul. But Saul turned out to be one of the greatest colossal failures in all of the Bible. Saul came from the tribe of Benjamin. But God did not choose Saul. Saul was the people's choice. But then after God took Saul off the scene, God burdened the man of God by the name of Samuel's heart to go to the house of a man by the name of Jesse. And God told Samuel, I want you to go and anoint the next king of the nation of Israel. And so Samuel fills his horn with oil and he starts the pilgrimage to this man by the name of Jesse's house. Jesse's oldest walks out in front of Samuel and Samuel says, Oh my soul, this is the next king. Look at him. He stands head and shoulders above the rest. What a good looking fellow. And God said, "Uh -uh -uh, Uh-uh-uh, that's not him. That's not him. You see, Samuel, you're looking on the outward appearance. I am able to look beyond the outward appearance and look upon the heart of a man. That's not him. Eliab, that's not him. They went through every son that Jesse had there that day, and God said, it's not a one of these. Samuel says, Jesse, do you have any more sons? He says, well... I got a little old boy out there guarding the sheep. But I'll be honest with you, I didn't think enough of him to even ask him to be here. Samuel says, call him. So here comes this little ruddy fella. A lot like that little lad that I preached about this morning. His name is David. Just a a little ruddy fella. And God speaks to the man of God's heart and says, arise and anoint the next king of Israel. Do you know which tribe David came from? Brother, he came from the tribe of Judah. He came from the lineage of Judah. And all the kings of the nation of Israel would eventually stem from the lineage of Not Reuben, not Simeon, but Judah. And by the way, earthly kings aren't the only kings would stem from the lineage of Judah. John the Revelator exiled on the Isle of Patmos said in Revelation chapter number 5, And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And John said in verse 4 of that chapter, And I wept much. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. But then one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold the lion of the tribe, not of Reuben, not of Simeon, and not of Levi. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Now, I don't know how you feel about it, but since I'm doing the preaching, I'm going to tell you how I feel about it. There's a little mama that's been misunderstood, 
taken advantage of, used and abused in Genesis 29. She has tried her very best, Brother Ricky, to exercise her faith by naming that firstborn son, Reuben, secondborn son, Simeon. But then by the time that third little boy comes around, she's become so disheartened because seemingly God had not heard and God had not seen. Till sometime between that third and fourth son, God patiently and lovingly deals with Leah's heart. And I can see Leah, Brother Looney, going in her bedroom in the back of the house and getting on her knees before God and saying something like this, Lord, I just don't understand what you're doing. You know my heart anyway, Lord, so I'm just going to confess to you right now, I, I, I don't know what to do. I've done everything that I know to possibly do to make things better in this house. And the harder I work, the more nothing changes. But Lord, I'm just going to praise you anyway. Because you don't have to change my circumstances to be worthy of praise. You don't have to change the situation here in this house. Lord, if I was sick... You don't have to heal me physically for me to praise you, Lord. You're worthy of praise. And therefore, Lord, I, I, I just want you to know, I, I still may not understand. I may not appreciate what you're doing. But, Lord, can I just say it right now? Hallelujah. Bless your good name. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm going to call this fourth little boy, praise the Lord. And when Leah offered the sacrifice of praise, the thrice holy God of glory leaned over the banister of heaven and said, wow, I like that. That sacrifice, there's just something special. I think I'm going to slip up close to this mama right here and you know what else I'm going to do? For the sake of that sacrifice of praise, I'm going to touch that boy Judah. I'm going to use that boy Judah. Oh, he'll be far from perfect. He'll certainly make his share of mistakes. But I'm telling you, I'm going to touch that boy Judah. And that's exactly what God did. And by the way, and this is another message for another day, God's not through blessing that little boy by the name of Judah. It pays to offer the sacrifice of praise. I share this truthfully you know. Share one true story with you and we'll go home tonight. Boy, I've loved preaching here today. What a great place to preach. If you can't preach here, you ain't got no preach in you. That's right. I love preaching here. Again, would you go with me quickly? Don't turn there. Just go with me in your mind. Jacob is on his deathbed. He's getting ready to die. He's getting ready to breathe his last. He gathers all of his sons together. In Genesis 49, he begins to prophesy over every son. And then after those prophecies are, are over, Jacob charges his children to bury him in the cave that was in the field of Machpelah. Because there's some other people buried there that Jacob wanted to make sure that he was buried by. Abraham and Sarah 
is buried there in that cave. Isaac and Rebekah is buried there in that cave. And there's somebody else buried there in that cave. If you're wondering, well, preacher, was it, was it, was it Rachel? I mean, Jacob loved her. Oh, no, no, no. Check your Bible. Genesis 35 and verse number 19. Rachel was buried in Bethlehem. No. There's a little mama buried there in that cave that offered the sacrifice of praise. Now again, you can believe what you want. But I can see Jacob walking down the hall and he knows in his heart he hasn't done right by Leah. He's used her. He's abused her. He wanted children. Rachel couldn't give him children, so he used Leah to get his children. He knows he hasn't done right by her. But Brother Ricky, don't you, don't you reckon that it could have been that Jacob, when he walked down the hall that day, after that fourth little boy was born, heard Leah inside her bedroom saying, Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Lord, I give you glory anyway. And it so impressed Jacob that he wanted some of that. So in the end, Rachel got a grave, but Leah got the guy in the end. What an example Leah set for all of us. You know, it would be real easy during this pandemic to say, you know, Lord, I just don't understand. I mean, Lord, uh, Cassie and I could say, look, we, we've had two months worth of meetings cancel. Lord, we, we, what? what is going on here? But when we offer the sacrifice of praise... Oh, the blessings we will experience having done so. Only eternity will tell. I close with this true story. True story and I'm through. You've listened so well. I was preaching at the Georgia Youth Fellowship. It was in December, Cassie, I believe it was 2008. It was New Year's Eve, December the 31st. I had finished preaching. We had gotten in our car. We were going to get some supper before we drove home that night to Covington, Georgia. My cell phone rang. It was my sister Jan. And she was crying profusely when I answered the phone. And I said, Jan, you got to tell me what's going on. What's wrong? And she said to me, she said, Scott, Daddy has had a massive heart attack. They're not expecting him to live through the night. He's on life support right now, and they're just trying to keep him alive long enough for you to get here. Will you come? We didn't even eat the meal. We ran back to our van, drove four and a half hours to the Wilkes Regional Medical Center in Wilkesboro, North Carolina. And when I walked in to the emergency room that night, I could not believe what I seen. Last time I seen my daddy, he was doing great. Oh, he was uh, around 80, 81 at the time, but he was doing great, doing well, exercising, eating right. He's just doing well. He had some issues, but he was getting along great. But now 
He's laying in a hospital bed and he's got wires going everywhere. His face is covered with oxygen mask and, and he's just barely clinging to life. I was in that hospital room that night when the emergency room doctor came and knelt in front of my little mama, my big brother Randy, and my two sisters, Jan and Beth, were standing there as well. And the emergency room doctor knelt in front of my little mama and said, Mrs. Caudle, Mr. Caudle is gone. There's no brain activity. If it's okay with you, we've already talked to all of your children and they all agree that Mr. Caudle wouldn't want this. We'll take all these plugs and wires away. And there's a vacant room down at the end of the hall. We'll roll Mr. Caudle down there and you can have a few moments together as a family. So my mom agreed to do that and that's exactly what we did. After they rolled my daddy's bed into that vacant room, we join hands together, Brother Ricky, and we sung that old Albert E. Brumley song around my daddy's deathbed, If We Never Meet Again This Height of Heaven. And I was standing right beside my daddy when he breathed his last breath and went to glory. Not long after that, my older brother turned to me and he said, Now, Scott, if it's okay with you, you and Cassie take Mama home and take care of Mama for the night and me and the girls will go home and we'll get some sleep and we'll meet you first thing in the morning and we'll start talking about the funeral arrangements. And of course, I consented to do that. I would do anything I could to help my mama. But after I agreed to do it, it just dawned on me, what, whoa, wait just a minute. You see, my mama had Parkinson's disease. And for the last five years of my daddy's life, even though my dad was eight years older than my mama, he took care of my mama. you got to understand the extent of my mama's Parkinson's disease. My daddy clothed my mama. Sometimes my daddy had to feed my mama. Uh, my daddy took my mama to the bathroom and cleaned her up when she was done. For the last five years of his life, he took care of my mama. And I began to wonder... Wow, will I know what to do? Will I know how to take care of mama? I don't know if I could do this. I, well, I know I can call my brother and my sister. If I run into any issues, I'll just go and do the best I can. And so I took my little mom and I picked her up and I put her in a wheelchair. And I rolled her outside of the Wilkes General Hospital, picked her up, put her in our car, and we made the eight-mile trip to my mom and daddy's house in Hayes, North Carolina. And that night... I did for my mama what she had done so many times for me as a little boy. I put my mama's night clothes on her. Picked her up and put her in the bed and I leaned over the bed and I kissed mama on the cheek and I said, Mama, I've pastored, I think at that time it was about 16, 17 years, something like that. And I said, it's Always been me trying to help other families. This is different for all of us, Mama. I said, but I just know that God's going to help us through. Everything's going to be okay. Now, Mama, if you need me in the night, don't you hesitate to call. And I turned to walk out of my Mama's room, and I walked across the hall, and as I went to open the door of the bedroom that I had 
slept in for the first 20 years of my life, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, wait a minute, you don't, you don't need to go in there just yet. What if your mama needs you through the night? Why don't you just stand outside here in the hall a little while and make sure your mama's okay? And so that's what I did. And I stood there in the hall and I was praying and I was wondering how that the next day would go. I was wondering about the funeral arrangements. And all of a sudden, I heard my mama start talking. When I heard her start talking, I thought, oh no, she's, she's delirious. She's talking out of her head. I guess I better get my phone and call my brother. And I reached in my pocket to get my cell phone. And the Lord said, ho, oh, oh, ho, hold on a minute. Why don't you just push that door back? And see what she's saying. And when I pushed that door back, I heard the greatest message on praise that I've ever heard in my life. I've never heard one to beat it. I've never heard one like it since. My little mama had been married to my daddy for over 50 years. That was the first night she had been in bed alone in over 50 years. As she laid there that night wondering where in the world she was going to sleep the next night. She had not a clue. She was probably laying there thinking, who's going to feed me? Who's going to clothe me? Who's going to take care of me? Can you imagine the amount of questions that's racing through her mind on top of the grief that she's experiencing? When I opened that door and looked inside, my mama had both hands in the air and she was saying over and over and over again, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Do you know what mama was saying? She was saying then exactly what Leah is saying in Genesis 29. She wouldn't say, and Lord, when you bring him back. She wouldn't even say, and Lord, when you take me from where I am to where he is. She wouldn't even say in that. She was saying, right now, right now, will I praise the Lord. We should praise him tonight because he's worthy. I don't understand a lot that's going on right now. Sometimes I wonder how in the world are we going to make it through it. But I can guarantee you nothing will change the fact that God is worthy of our praise. You've listened so well. Would you stand to your feet all over the building?